0: Hi, everyone. This is Haley, and you're listening to Straight Talk with the Doc, a podcast on addiction, mental health, and treatment. We've got our content director, Jeff, with us, and of course, our medical director, Dr. Bot. How are you guys today?
1: We're good. We're good. How are you? I'm doing good, too. It's a nice day. It's a good day.
0: It is. So Today, I wanted to bring up a topic that isn't really talked about all that much because I think a lot of people may just be unaware that it's happening and that is addiction in the medical profession. I think a lot of us see doctors, nurses, you know, other healthcare workers as this entity that is impervious to drug or alcohol abuse, but obviously healthcare workers are still people and anyone is capable of developing an addiction. This can also be dangerous because people in healthcare have access to drugs that people in other professions don't have direct ac- access to um, as well as the fact that they might not seek treatment because they're afraid of losing their livelihood. So I wanted to break this down a little bit today. I saw a statistic from the National Institutes of Health saying that 10 to twelve percent of physicians will develop a substance use disorder during their careers. Uh, Dr. Bot, can you talk about reasons that this might occur?
1: Sure. I think you said it earlier, is that, you know, we're no different. Than anybody else, doctors, nurses, any healthcare professional—they were all human beings. So let's just make it clear: the same risk factors that could apply to anybody will apply to physicians um, or other healthcare practitioners, um, regardless of the the work that they do. So let's look at that. You know, if somebody does have any co-occurring anxiety disorder or mental health condition obviously those are risk factors that can increase substance use. If you have any medical conditions that create pain or discomfort or just psychological sadness, as a result, um, those medical illnesses, um, can be a risk factor. Uh, our genetics on those conditions that do show heritability, um, can increase, you know, the incidences of people using and becoming addicted. And, um, those commonality, common theme risk factors like trauma and um, abuse that someone may have suffered. So, that could cross over into um, anybody who is a healthcare practitioner. They can suffer from those same risk factors as anyone else. Um, then there's the other component that, you know, why somebody might be an addict is that they also may have had earlier accessibility. Or easier accessibility to certain narcotics and controlled substances, and um, that could be um, a, a specific um, risk factor that might exist in this population. Uh, additionally, there's you know there's a high risk, high stress job. I'm sorry, uh, you know, the healthcare profession does entail dealing with life and death often, or the lives of human beings. So it, it is a very stressful, just the amount of work that has to be done, the amount of bureaucracy that has to be, you know, worked around and uh, the stress of just, you know, saving lives. That mm-hmm. That's a big one. That's a big one that uh, tends to affect people. So if you think about it, all the normal risk factors that exist, plus the fact that you're dealing in a high stress job, plus might have access to these substances, probably uh, puts them at plane, at level or slightly higher than um, the general population.
0: Dr. Baud, would you also say that it's fair to say that <clears throat> because you know the sensitivity of drug and alcohol use in the medical profession that uh, they have to hide it more, I guess, or be more careful about it,
1: and which kind of creates more like secrecy almost about use? Yeah, for sure. I think that doesn't speak as much as the risk of them developing, but definitely of the risk of it being under-recognized. I think you're talking about a population that is often very educated and um, often held to a certain regard. Yeah, coming forward with a disease that is so stigmatized is very hard for these individuals. Um, it, It shows also a loss of control. It shows, um, that they're not practicing what they preach and, um, yeah, it can show, it can make somebody very, it's very embarrassing and it can be very difficult for them to seek treatment. Um, and with, with physicians and healthcare professionals also because of all of that, that structure and that support that exists and whatever, um, capabilities that they were able to put together in their lives to become uh, workers in a profession that's often difficult, um, you'll see that their work life tends to be more preserved. But um, if you dive di- dive more into their personal lives, you'll see that that's often a wreck. So yeah, the secrecy, the lack of being able to talk about it, it being taboo, not only um, in society for some people, but definitely in that profession. Um, yeah, it's tough. It's tough to come forward.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, earlier you mentioned, you know, just like the stress that healthcare workers can be under for people that don't really know. Can you kind of talk about like the stresses that they have that might, you know, cause them to start abusing drugs or alcohol?
1: Let's say life and death. I mean, how many people can say that they hold someone's life in their hand and that means the way that they act, react, think. Um, the outcome could be if somebody continues to live or, or they die. I think that's a tremendous burden and responsibility that they they place upon themselves, and that comes with tremendous stress. And if something's go wrong, um, the guilt uh, and uh, the the internal frustration that they have to live with. And I I do believe that certain specialties then may be more prone to having substance use sort disorder vulnerability um uh, due to just the innate nature of them um and the amount of stress that goes with it, probably like emergency medicine um or psychiatry that deals with people who suffer with mental health and also maybe those professions that have access to more higher um higher potency lethal agents like anesthesiology. Those specialties also on top of the stress Um, also have certain access to drugs. So yeah, you know, medicine has changed. Medicine has changed, um, over the last tens and, you know, many decades. And, um, you know, the amount of work that doctors have to do, healthcare workers in general, um, has increased, um, the amount of volume that they have to see probably in the same amount of time has increased the way that we've changed from our record keeping so the fitting often a a more busy schedule in a a in a different amount of time uh, it, it has created a um a discrepancy and the healthcare workers now are facing a lot of uh, a lot of issues and on top of it it's a very sensitive and um emotional profession when you uh, especially if you lose somebody so um I don't want to get into too many technicalities, but yeah, it's it's a it's a hard job. It's yeah. a hard job with a huge responsibility, and um, yeah, that stress in itself it can be often very isolating too. I think people tend to have a, te- a, a a thought that you know these doctors or nurses or healthcare practitioners have a lot of money. They must be going on vacations. They must be doing all. It's actually contrary. They they may be, but that's not. The, the most part of it most often doctors are working very hard long hours and it took a lot of energy uh, and time and sacrifice to get to those roles in the first place
0: mm-hmm. is it fair to say that you know somebody in that position they might not be comfortable say talking to their spouse or their you know close friends about it because they feel like they won't understand what they go through at work every day
1: yeah i mean telling somebody outside um about the work life yeah i think you know doctors don't always want to talk about what's going on um, in the hospital or at the clinic uh, when, when they go home or similarly with nurses or other healthcare practices. I just don't want to keep reporting physicians here because actually when we talk about addiction, it's not strictly physicians at all. It's, it's a full gamut of healthcare workers. Um, and, and similarly, a lot of people at, at work don't talk about their home lives. So, um, but I want to repeat something as it applies to many people in many professions, not just healthcare workers, is that often when they do develop addiction, it's not going to be um, the work life that's getting compromised first. Often, if you ask or do the investigation, that the private life has been already affected. Their personal life has been affected. And if you ask their loved one or their spouse, they will probably tell you, some of the, the the symptoms or the devastate or the consequences of their substance abuse that has not maybe spilled out until their into their work life which eventually will. It's very hard for somebody who suffers with true addiction to um, keep it separate from home or work.
0: That's common among many professions, not just the medical profession <clears throat> lawyers, uh, marketers, basically anything. A lot of people do believe like as long as they get up to work in the morning and go to work and come home safe, then they're doing fine, regardless of how badly their personal life may be spiraling.
1: Now yeah, you hit on the head. I mean, we 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 tend to. I think we talked about this in another segment. Is that most people suffer with addiction? You know, their their family life is is often the first to go, and um, their work life is preserved. There's a high level of accountability. There's a certain presence. Plus, it's your lifeline, right? I mean, that's the thing that gets you paid. So you're probably a little bit more cautious um, around your work to get, um, intoxicated or behave in a certain way. It's, it's it's unacceptable. I think with the, with the healthcare workers, though, it has to be unacceptable. There's no option. You know, you can't have an impaired person coming to work in, in in such a sensitive situation where you, you have the lives of other people in your hands. So, um, You know, being addicted is one thing, but being addicted when it's not just affecting you, but the lives of others who come for you uh, to you to get care. I mean, yeah, this is a big issue and it needs to be addressed, obviously.
0: Yeah, I wanted to break that down a little bit, kind of like what's going on in their brains, you know, because like you said, it's their lifeline and, you know, they're educated people. They know that abusing drugs or alcohol can jeopardize their career, everything that they've worked for. You know, how are substances affecting the brain? To you know, make them feel as though it's worth the risk.
1: So th- that part of addiction that that change, that cognitive uh, error in thinking, uh, the the distortions that occur, the change in that motivational hierarchy of what's important and what's not, the denial, the rationalization, you know, all of those things. That's that's not different. I mean, that's shared amongst addiction, um, uh, regardless of what profession you you work in. So um, that that's what's happening, you know. They're they're constantly um, speaking and convincing themselves that inner voice is saying, "How do I get through?" I'll, there is shame and there's guilt and there's probably fear, and and anxiety that this is hidden. But if that means that they need to keep doing it in order to, you know, stop feeling withdrawal or not, you know, continue to maintain that job or not looking vulnerable or weak it, by seeking out for help. So it, there's this sad conflict of voices of one probably saying, hey, you know what? It's not a problem. I can take care of it. Um, you know, if I just do it this one time or I, you know, I need to do it for this job. Or I need to pay my rent or whatever. And then there's that other one that um, that's totally distorted that I, you know, that I don't have a problem. There's nothing wrong. Uh, I don't know what they're talking about if they were in my shoes, they would have to do the same thing. I mean, so there's this these polar opposites of, you know, maybe this rational side of understanding and convincing that it's just going to be time limited or circumscribed um, to a certain, you know, situation versus that complete denial that, you know, I'm, that anybody else would recognize as something that's totally wrong. And and they're they're not. So, but I think that, again, that's par with the, the disease itself, um, not necessarily the profession. And so it applies to uh, to physicians, healthcare workers, to pilots, anybody suffering for addiction. That's the hallmark of the disease is that, you know, you have this altered way of thinking. And unfortunately, that allows you to be susceptible to greater consequences. And it's ironic because it's often those big consequences um, that have to happen before somebody thinks about changing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's actually something else I read is that, you know, addiction in physicians is usually advanced before they receive intervention. You know, so this, at this point, you know, their personal life may have fallen apart and now something is happening, you know, in their professional life as well. Um, What are the differences in treatment um, between treating someone with an advanced addiction and something that's still like a little bit earlier on before, you know, certain damages have been caused?
1: Hopefully like with any illness, we want to, the earlier you catch something, the the less uh, repercussions may happen, or may not happen. So hopefully, if you can catch something earlier, it's it's you can intervene and prevent other negative aspects, or consequences from happening either to the person physically or to people around them. Um, so yeah, it's best if some but often, due to the nature of addiction, nobody wants to get it help until it's a big deal. So getting help for a person with addiction often is not easy because they don't see it as a problem. And it's often still because they're functioning in other aspects of their lives. So they can't see that broader picture. And um, on the other on the other side, you know, yeah, it, it often takes something big to happen uh, before people end up, you know, asking for help or, or maybe not even asking, just, getting the help that they deserve. I think with pro- professions like these, you know, healthcare or things that have a license or, and, and the fact that there's are intelligent people, right? Obviously you didn't go to become a pilot or a physician or a nurse because you, you weren't able to put that course of study together um, despite whatever context you lived in. But, you know, so these are smart individuals and um, there's that, you know, protective side that happens because these people can navigate and compensate due to that hopeful intelligence and knowledge. But the minute you threaten to take that away from them, well, that might be the motivation or the coercion that needs to happen, unfortunately, to make them, um, go to treatment. And, um, that's another point. I know some statistics there that, you know, they tend to do well though. Um, healthcare, healthcare workers, especially physicians, They tend to do well. Once it's identified, once it's come out, once they've gone into treatment, uh, they have one of the higher recovery rates um, amongst anybody. I think doctors and pilots tend to be uh, some of the top um, in terms of once they have gone through treatment in terms of maintaining sobriety. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, So what should a healthcare worker do? You know, they know they have a problem. They know that they need treatment. But, you know, there's that fear of if I come out and I say this, I have, you know, a problem with substance abuse, you know, I could lose my license, I could lose my job, you know, they might be afraid that they won't be able to go back to work. You know, what kind of advice would you give to somebody in that situation?
1: You know, hopefully there's somebody close to them that's that's recognizing this, you know, and, and able to have a sit down conversation. You know, the degree of intervention or the degree of response that a person can give you while suffering varies so greatly, right? I mean, we all know this. We've worked with people with addiction or know somebody suffers with addiction. It's not, you don't get the same response. We tend to think if you address somebody, they're going to deny it for whatever reason. Um, let's not talk about the underlying way, but they, they might deny it. So it becomes hard. So we talk about the person, one who is in denial. A person in denial, it's hard to get them to to, to seek help. And often it might require an intervention, Um, you know, having an intervention with a group of their colleagues or friends or family or bosses and really show, listen, we all are here. Sometimes that person just needs to see all of those people around them. And it's like, oh my God, because they're able to hide it when not confronted or when facing only one person. But when you got everybody in your immediate close personal life around you, that often can, can be that, you know, um, catalyst to, to go and get treatment. And and if those people are prepared, prepared to cover the, the doctor's caseload, to say, yeah, your home life will be taken care of. Yes, your job will be here when you come back sober. Those are ways to, without being punitive, maybe this person would be more receptive to get help without threatening. Then there's mm-hmm. these professional health programs that are run kind of, Along with the states that license these healthcare practitioners, um, they, they they tend to um, give like a, almost a case management type response. They act like as a buffer between the the healthcare practitioner and their licensing agency. They they tend to evaluate the the those professionals, um, develop a treatment plan, a monitoring plan, and establish a degree of safety that has to be uh, proven and demonstrated. And if if that person can complete their contract or complete their monitoring, they're often um, allowed to practice again without any supervision. And and they're, they're these professional health programs that are run, like in, say, in, 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 in combination with the state, you know, they're, they're there. So that's another way of seeking help. So if somebody knows that they have a problem, they, they should try and volunteer to reach out to these professional health programs. The, the, the sad part of this is that it can be a very scary experience. These professional healthcare programs are often um, very bureaucratic. They can seem very uh, authoritarian and it can be very scary when you're, when you are asked to maybe stop to practice while, while the, um, while the assessment process is taking place. But at the same time, you know, these are things that um, you either can do or there could be some significant consequences that can occur if somebody's uh, ends up having some sort of malpractice or, you know, wrongful death or something like that. I mean, we can imagine what bad things could happen. But um, and Mm. often if we haven't got to that degree, if there's a if there's a sound person still able to make proper judgment. And is recognizing that they've either relapsed or then they can go themselves and seek treatment ask for a leave of absence and you know either research online or go to um addictioncenter.com for example and look up different treatment centers that um, might cater to the special population of healthcare professionals Um, so it really depends on where where the person is at but definitely going about it in a supportive way and almost Preparing this the, the road for the healthcare practitioner that it's okay to go and seek treatment and this is what we'll do to uh, reestablish yourself, um, that's often uh, a, a better way than um, becoming too, um, you know, unsupportive.
0: So say like I was somebody working, you know, at a hospital and I suspected that, you know, higher up employee, somebody at the hospital it was abusing drugs. What would my options be? You know, if I'm afraid of confronting them, are they going to deny it? Am I going to get you know fired? <laughs> like, what would somebody do in that situation?
1: It's definitely best not to confront somebody in in at work like that. Um, you know, it 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 might not go uh, it might not go well, and um, you know you might end up uh, allowing that person to um, you know prepare. Uh, it's, it's often best to go to your own supervisor. Uh, hospitals do have um, steps in place that um, are there to help report, um, you know, colleagues, coworkers who are, you know, suspected of baby using and being under the influence. And that way it kind of protects that person reporting also. So hospital systems usually um, have ways that you can go. Um, through their um, human resources department, and their, their medical staff um, that help them, guide them. And often it's best to go there first and maybe discuss it. Um, everybody's a little bit different, but kind of like bring up the scenario to the person there without maybe disclosing that person's name just so that person is comfortable and knows what the, what the consequences to them would be or to others would be. And um, those people should be trained to help guide you in um, how to report somebody you're concerned of being impaired.
0: Can you kind of tell me about like the process that somebody goes through, you know, after they've completed treatment and they're returning to their job, you know, where they may have access again to the drugs that they were abusing. You know, how is that handled?
1: You know, with healthcare providers, again, I can't speak about every specific case, but in the evaluations that I have done, And uh, provided, there's often a contract that's put in place, uh, a contract for a certain amount of monitoring and a certain amount of stipulations in that contract of what their accessibility is. It doesn't just go from, hey, okay, we've identified a physician or a healthcare practitioner, a nurse or, you know, a mental health tech um, of some whatever wrongdoing um, in the hospital. And what I mean wrongdoing, not being an addict, being wrongdoing, but, you know, the behaviors of maybe stealing medications or whatever. So they will have a graded level of reentry. They will have a certain level of maybe a peer, um, a peer, uh, you know, monitor, a mentor, somebody who they can go to. Um, they often will have uh, individual counseling. They often will have restrictions on what medications they can handle or prescribe what areas they can work in. And these often are handled by the professional health, um, program that the doctor will hopefully, or the practitioner will hopefully be a part of. And this way, if they complete this successfully, they're usually, you know, capable of, you know, not having any public complaint listed on the department of health website. They have the support of that, you know, professional health program offered by the state. And um, somebody is watching them along the way. And I think that's a smart way to do this. You never want somebody who's been identified as a substance user, to, even though they probably hate it. And they're, you know, full of pride and full of like, oh, my God, how am I going to navigate my life um, going back to the hospital and doing so? But believe it or not, it's, it's the prudent thing to do. It's a smart thing to do and um, just getting treatment doesn't automatically make you capable of going into a sensitive area. But the steps are there, and it's often written by uh, a contract or the course of treatment that is uh, established by the evaluating physician or the treating physician at any program you've gone to, combined with um, hopefully the case management with whatever professional health program they've engaged with. But it's a gradual uh, graded reentry. into responsibility practice and supervision until unsupervised practice has been seen as allowable.
0: Dr. Ba, is there anything that we didn't talk about on this topic that you think people should know?
1: I'm glad this is a topic we're discussing today. I think it is um, something that is not spoken about enough. I think right now with the pandemic, especially, there's got to be people working under more duress and more distress. I say gotta be, it sounded so cavalier loose. No, there is, there are, there are people already just because of that pen. So right now it's it's really important to look out for those who are on the front lines, those who are dealing with uh, that additional strength, stress, excuse me, and provide them that support. And, you know, it doesn't have to be punitive, but just keep gauging, looking at the barometer, looking at how they're behaving to see if there's any signs of symptoms of impairment um, changes in behaviors, um, you know, irritability and, and not necessarily any of those things could be substance related, but it could be hundred percent coming from stress, but at the same time, not just putting it on the back burner and not being afraid to ask somebody, Hey, how, how are you doing? and hey, how, how are things going? How are you coping? And, um, you know, usually, um, if you ask at the right place in the right time, um, if they're not, intoxicated or inebriated, um, you'll get an honest response. Um, obviously though, if they're under duress, under pressure, if it's done in a way that, um, is, is makes them feel like their backs against the wall, then you'll get, uh, probably irritable or denial or almost how could you type of thing. So there's no exact recipe for this. But the fact that we're talking about it and we're recognizing that, you know, healthcare people, they're humans. They're like the rest of us. They're susceptible to, uh, the stresses and risks of of, of living and working in during the time of the pandemic, especially, and with the roles that they inherently carry every day. So, um, yeah, substance abuse issues exist there. And, um, uh, just being aware of them and, uh, knowing that, um, Help is there and it often exists in the professional health programs of a state, but also private um, treatment centers. Many of them, many of them offer um, professional health tracks that you can reach out to before the problem becomes huge. And that can be found on addictioncenter.com.
0: Well, thank you for talking with me, Dr. Bot, about this topic. Because, you know, like you said, it's important, especially right now. Um, and thank you to everyone who's listened. You can listen to more podcast episodes, and you can also check out more information on this topic and more topics and resources on addictioncenter.com. We hope to have you next time on Straight Talk with the Doc.